Welcome, everybody, to the first episode of the Decide Guys Football Forum of 2024. We were on a brief two-week hiatus. Unfortunately, Amur, my always loyal co-host, could not join, but that is okay because I'm joined by my other good friends, my other good buddies, Will Decker, Al Rowe, Ryan Dyru, and Jamal Modney. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. We are discussing a very exciting matchup tonight. Number one seed Michigan against number two seed Washington in the college football national championship to be played next Monday. Now, before we get started on our analysis for it, unfortunately, none of our favorite teams made it, especially not my TCU Horned Frogs that didn't even make a bowl game, which is very heartbreaking. Not even the Duke Mayo Bowl, which is very annoying. But... That does not mean we still can't have fun with it because with our new sponsors, Underdog Fantasy, you can place some amazing bets on the national championship game. And guys, I'm telling you, there is no better friendly site that I have ever seen than Underdog Fantasy. And you can use promo code DECIDE. That is D-E-S-A-I. You guys have not heard this, but this is how my mom does it when we make restaurant reservations. That is D as in David. E, S is in Sam, AI. So use that promo code and they will match any deposit you make up to $500. That means if you make a deposit worth $300, they will put another $300 right into your account. Crazy, crazy deal. So before I get started, guys, how are we feeling generally about this college football season? We're nearing the end. We're getting into draft season. I can't wait for that personally. So in general, you know, 2023, how'd it go? I'll jump in first. (laughs) I'll jump in first. Uh, Yeah, great. 2023, good year Um, overall. I think uh, great for LAFB, uh, which has been a lot of fun. Obviously getting to know you guys even more, but uh, college football is a wild college football. Uh, I wouldn't say it was great for our LA teams we cover, the the UCLA Bruins and the USC Trojans. Um, Started off with a lot of excitement and, and definitely fizzled out down the stretch. But in terms of the overall college football season it was uh it was a lot of fun so can't complain but what do you think Tad? well you know i gotta say just first off just let's get this out of the way while the pac-12 still exists for about i don't know 12 more hours uh <laughs> it was a fun little two months there when colorado was everybody's bandwagon team that was fun where it, you know i know this is don't not get where a, started Dude, I and here's the best thing about it is like the the September Heisman was very true with Shadur Sanders, where everybody was like losing it on him, and now it's just like, oh yeah, no, he is human. So I I got like give it to Colorado, especially because you know they they beat my aforementioned TCU Horn Frogs to start the season, where everyone was like, oh, they may be legit. For me, that was the funniest like kind of roller coaster season there. But you know, before I go on, Al. I'm sure, you know, we don't need to talk about him too much, but USC, let's, let's talk about what, what happened, man. Well, a lot happened, but um, (laughs) (laughs) a lot didn't happen. (laughs) A lot happened. A lot didn't happen. Um, I mean, when when it comes down to the synopsis of it, 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 a lot of fault goes to Lincoln Riley because there's an old saying, you're either coaching it or allowing it to happen. And I think allow was allowed to happen. The best example I could give and and Will's going to go, uh, pretty much ear to ear when I say this, the USC UCLA game, the Battle for Liberty Bill, right? Victory Liberty Bill. I'm losing my mind. Victory Bill, right? That's like the biggest game that you could play for as a Trojan. And when you watch that game, all the way from UCLA's AD 
down to their walk-on, was excited about the game. USC didn't care, right? So there was a lot of culture issues. Um, Caleb wasn't all in. I I believe, I believe he was a cancer. There's a whole show about Whoa. it. Oh, but there's a lot going on. There was a lot going on that just wasn't good. I will say this: the future is bright. If you watch the Holiday Bowl, that was a different team that we saw this whole season. And those were a bunch of youngsters, a bunch of guys that wanted to stay, a bunch of guys that wanted to play for USC and believes in USC all the way from Taj Washington down to the walk-on. So, I mean, that was great. So, um, yeah, it just just didn't work out. So the good thing is we got another year. All those myths about the world ending and all that stuff didn't come true. So we get to see college football again this August. I will say this, too. It is interesting to note that tonight of recording, Will Howard has confirmed he is going to Ohio State, not Mm -hmm. USC, as previously reported. So interesting fold there. What's what's the new that quarterback's name, Miles Morales or whoever. I, Excuse of me. Course I know that's not it. But. Miles Morales. <laughs> <laughs> <You> got Spider-Man? <laughs> yeah. I have Spider-Man on the brain, but the, that kid, is he going to be the quarterback of the future for USC? So as of right now, Miller Moss is your number one quarterback. Miller Moss. In. I knew it was an MM. You, 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 he is your number one quarterback going in. They, they don't have any other quarterback besides Miller Moss, so they do need to get in and get depth. Um, we actually were just talking about this. Uh, you have the opportunity with National Signing Day coming up the first Tuesday of February to go get some high school guys. If you can't find a guy that qualifies and meets the standards, you can go get a JUCO guy. Right now, they need depth at quarterback. Will, Will Howard was, I mean, when we when we heard that news, it was like, okay, it is what it is, especially after the Holiday Bowl. It wasn't the end of the world for us. It wasn't a shocker. The Trojan Nation isn't going crazy. But they do need to get the depth. So Will Howard going to Ohio State, more power to you. You don't want to compete. That just means he's a sucker to me. So it is what it is. Like, I'm not really too concerned about that. We just need to find, figure out how to get the depth. Fair enough. And there's a lot to cover in this offseason. And we will plug those podcasts where you can check that news out later on in the episode. So stay tuned for that. Modmon, <laughs> as, we're, as we're calling it now. <laughs> By the way, he drops this on us. He drops it. During the pre-production meeting. Oh, remember that nickname you've been calling me for (laughs) two years? It's been wrong the entire time. Wow. Is Santa Claus not real? I just, I cater it to the American (laughs) accent. All right. That's what I do. All right. (laughs) <laughs> more COVID's gonna come out here at some point i mean it's just it's unbelievable uh, it's, it's uh, let me a spoiler alert will i am not the father okay, so, yeah. <laughs> hey i'm not more here i'm not doing that <laughs> so jamal biggest takeaway from this college football season for you yeah you know i mean i'm gonna look back on this tad as the final year of the pac-12 and, and oh, the final yeah. year of an era i mean this is this was year 26 and final year of kind of the BCS CFP era as we knew it as sort of an era of how we grew up watching college football where, you know, for 26 consecutive years, we've sort of guaranteed number one versus number two, either as a as a two team format or as a four team format. And so it sort of bookends an incredible era. And man, did the Pac-12 go out with the bang? I mean, the last year of the Pac-12 was the greatest year of the Pac-12. Obviously, we're going to get all into it with UW representing the Pac-12 in the national championship. But when you just look at the litany of teams and the litany of quarterbacks in this conference this year, from Penix Jr. to Bo Nix to Caleb to Shador to Cam Ward to, uh, you know, Cam Rising didn't even play this year. And he, he probably was the ninth best quarterback in the conference. And he was the two-time defending 
you know, conference champion quarterback. So just uh, an incredible year. It's it's sort of bittersweet, a shame that the Pac-12 couldn't put a media rights deal together to keep the conference intact because, my God, did it go out with a blaze of glory. So I'm always going to remember this as the last year and the great year of the Pac-12 and in many ways the closing of an era because now next year things really change quite a bit with this 12-team playoff and uh, I'm excited about it but at the same time what made college football so special was the life and death nature of every game in the regular season and now moving forward you can you can lose twice and get into the the 12-team playoff and so something is a little lost now moving forward so this will always be uh, a very memorable season for me and, and will be, I think, in the history of college football. Yeah, especially with the FSU being left out there. That is a very interesting fold of like, thank God this is the last year with four teams. Al, I saw your hand up. Why don't you give you your thoughts real quick and then we'll kick it to Will. Oh, I was rubbing my eye, but um, okay. uh, I, right. I was kind of disappointed that you didn't ask me about that because I actually played in the Pac-10 slash Pac-12, but it is what it is, Chad. I understand Pac-10 Pac dates you there a bit, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, but real quick, it, it is um, for me, it is bittersweet because I grew up watching the Pac-10, right? Pre even pre-Reggie Bush, and and I grew up where I grew up, like I was able to hear the roar of the crowd from the Coliseum, and for that to be gone and see. Washington State and never be able to play Washington State again and may never be able to play Stanford again. It's just it's so unfortunate. And but it's on to better things. You know, sometimes you have to make the change in your life. When one door closes, the next one opens, as they say on Instagram. How about that? Some good life advice on the side, guys. I like it. All right. Well, last takeaway from the college football season. Take it away, buddy. Man, I don't know how I'm going to top a guy that just quoted Instagram. Yeah, good God. That was I think they were on to some great points, man. Uh, Madman, Modman, I guess. Now. Modman, yeah. Oh, God. I, we're not Coach starting Rowe. this. Okay, I'm nipping <laughs> this in the bud right now. <laughs> and Coach Rowe coming through. That'll be the last Modman joke I have for this pod. But, you know, the Pac-12 folding was kind of part of just a huge, uh, you know, shift within the college football landscape. Not only is the Pac-12 folding in its existence, what a year they had, you know, team playing the national championship. You know, you had two of the three Heisman finalists from the Pac-12 schools. Lots of great quarterbacks. The presumptive number one pick, Caleb Williams, likely going to be from a Pac-12 school. But you also have, you know, your Oklahomas and Texas leaving the Big 12, going to the SEC. Florida State likely, you know, leaving ACC country, going into a new conference. Just a lot of changes within the college football landscape. And to me, the thing that I was most excited about with the college football, you know, uh, totality as a whole this year was just how wide open it was for the national championship this year. We've usually had the years where it's Georgia and everybody else, Alabama and everybody else. This is the rare year where it felt like any of the top six teams, and I'm going to include – Florida State, if they were healthy enough to have a Jordan Travis there, where you could have swayed me any which way direction for the top six teams. You know, Michigan and Bama comes down to the wire. Washington and Texas comes down to the wire. I mean, Texas was on the verge of, you know, winning that game. They were on the other side of the field trying to get it done. There was so much going on there. To Georgia just blowing, you know, Florida State out in that game. And if Florida State's healthy and has all of its starters, it's a real good chance that they can maybe do something special there. But um, just a really fun year of college football, a year where anyone could have taken it. And uh, it was a blast, man, from start to finish. Uh, we get the final game, you know, next Monday. And I think it's going to be a great one between Michigan and Washington. 
So let's talk about that final game again. One seed Michigan against two seed Washington. So, I mean, let's get into it with the team we're probably most familiar with, which is the Washington Huskies. I mean, you want to talk about a kind of Cinderella team to be real. I don't think anyone really thought that they were legitimate playoff contenders. Maybe they were in the talk a little bit to start the season, but now they're in the final game this next Monday. So I'll kick it to Ryan Dirud first. Uh, where are some strengths, where are some concerns you have about this Washington team when they're facing up against Michigan? Yeah, I mean, love this Washington team. I mean, what Kalen DeBoer has done in, in two years is absolutely unbelievable. What he's been able to build and rectify so quickly after taking over from Jimmy Lake. And, and obviously the big get at the very beginning was getting, you know, Michael Penix Jr. over there, who, as everyone here knows, has one of the prettiest balls in all college football. And, and, you know, those that's what she said. Throws. <laughs> yeah, I, I walked into that one. I was waiting, as as I said it, I yeah. was waiting for it. No one, no one flinched though, too. Dude, I was no one, no one, but, uh, yeah, no yeah. one pulled the trigger on that so, one. I mean, but we're somebody pros, was. We're pros. Uh, yeah, you know, exactly. that's what it is. I mean, yeah, this is an yeah. amateur hour, you know, so. <laughs> When it came out of my mouth, I was like, that's going to be problematic immediately. That's what she said. Yeah. Okay. All right. So uh, as a, a pretty a family show, it, it, it is not. Um, it's not. It's not. I curse. But, so much. you know, that tight window throw that he that he had against Texas and, and whatnot. So, I mean, this team, what, what I think what's fascinating about this team and I'm curious what what the rest of the panel will say, but I mean, they had like the 92nd ranked defense. I mean, this is not a good defense at all. So the fact that they were able to overcome that and offensive obviously drove the ship, but the defense was at least sound enough to give their offense a chance. They were not completely inept like we saw, you know, saw USC, quite frankly, play. Um, they were able to do enough, especially against Texas. You know, down the line, they let Texas back in it. I mean, that game was wild, like the craziest inning I've seen when it looked like Washington dominated basically from the third quarter on and then those last three minutes and you get the injury timeout that stops the clock and all that. But at the very end, the defense does make the stop, but they at least did enough. So, you know, it's a team that, um, you know, overcame a lot, I think, overall and, and just has a lot of good playmakers. Roma Duza didn't even mention how great he is. And the big thing is w what will it look like with the injury to the running back into the game? Based on what we saw him ending, doesn't look like he'll probably go. We'll we'll hear more, but it didn't look very likely. So I, I'm just curious what um, you know that'll look like that they've had to overcome. And one thing about this team and Will and Jamal, you guys had him on your show, and I, I love this this point that he make. Wayne Cook, I'm talking about, had him on right before the new year, and he was talking. This is no disrespect at all to Washington at all, but he was talking about how a program like where Washington is right now. And this, again, this is nothing against Washington, nothing against Kalen DeBoer, but they kind of had a perfect season. When you look at everything unfold, they were able to win those close games, which are, you know, a margin of one play difference of you winning those games. They stayed relatively healthy all year long. And, and you look at other programs like, and he mentioned this, Georgia, Alabama, where one guy goes down, they have a five-star in waiting. They have you know all these guys just in the waiting that can step in and do that. You look at Alabama, he mentioned you know Jalen Hurts, they didn't think was good enough. So, oh, Tua's waiting in the wings. Go in and win a national title. So Washington kind of had to have everything go perfect for this season. And I think that's what makes it so special, especially in the final year of the Pac-12, that they – really have had a Cinderella season, but a perfect season, 
perfect in the sense that they haven't lost a game either go all their way. And now it all culminates on Monday night against Michigan. So just a, a special year for the Huskies and, uh, you know, really excited to watch him play on, on Monday night. So let's kick it to Will Decker here. So, Will, do you share Ryan's, I guess, concerns over that defense? And just generally, where are your thoughts on this Washington team? I think they're fantastic, man. And defense, uh, they played in a conference this year with some of the best quarterbacks in the country. You know, I think it's going to be tough for them. What they can do is they can generate pass rush like nobody else. Braylon Trice, uh, Zion Tupulo Fatui, two very good edge rushers that are probably going to have NFL futures. So they have the most important part of the defense figured out, which is getting after the quarterback, making the opposing quarterback's job hard. But this is the number one passing offense in the country. I mean, this offense has been sensational. And as much credit as I give Michael Penix Jr., he's been absolutely sensational. 35 touchdowns, nine picks this season. The guy is Kalen DeBoer for me, man. DeBoer, what he has built here in the snap of a finger since he stepped foot on Washington's campus. Remember, he was the offensive coordinator at Indiana with Penix. He leaves. He goes to Fresno State. Penix actually kind of struggles without him at Indiana. And then he takes the job at Washington after putting another quarterback in the NFL that Madman and I know about very well, Jake Hayner, who took it to UCLA a couple of years ago. So he goes up north to Washington. And, you know, they, they had a talented roster. I think we can all agree with that. But in year one, he took them to number eight in the country, a top 10 team, and he's got them competing for a national championship in year two. The ascension of Kalen DeBoer in college football is something I have not seen in quite a long time, and it's very, very impressive to see what he's done. Number one passing offense. He's got a wide variety of weapons out there for Penix Jr. to kind of spray the ball around to. Roma Dunze, man, 1,500 yards receiving, Love him. Love touchdowns. Him. He's been a monster. I mean, he is either wide receiver number two or three on your board going to the NFL uh, between uh, Malik Neighbors at LSU and himself. Adunze, man, is a is a baller. He kind of reminds me a little bit of DK Metcalf, very physically imposing, shredded. He's going to physically beat you out there. And, you know, if you can kind of learn a little bit more of the techniques of route running and, you know, kind of separation, this guy's going to be a problem in the league for a long time to come. But when you start with it, it's the offense – the defense is better than we think it is. And DeBoer deserves more than his share of credit for building this into something special. So that's what I got for Washington on the surface. So two things about that. One, uh, we have yet to bring this up. We, we brought up Penix's ability to kind of like zip it in there. That's what she said. But that throw against Texas where he got that ball between two safeties, I was like, how is it not a pick? That was one of the craziest throws, especially from, and we cannot discount this. He may be one of the most talented lefties we've seen in the 21st century is like seeing that type of velocity from a left-handed quarterback is pretty impressive. And on top of that, Will, it's funny because I actually got an argument with a friend last night where he's like, no, neighbors is number two. I'm like, no, it's a Dunze. And they were just like, well, most people say it's neighbors. I'm like, well, most people are wrong. So I'm, I'm a big Rome fan there, but, uh, that will yet to be seen. So Al, I know you're a Trojan at heart. I know this might hurt because they are a conference opponent, but anything good or bad that that may be easier to say about Washington. No, I'm not, I'm not going to talk bad about them. They're in the national championship. I mean, I'm not a hater. I'm a realist, but I'm not a hater. I'm not going to talk, you know? So, I mean, this, this team is well-deserved. Like you said, last year they were number 18. They, a lot of people did see them as the spec on the radar and like 
they do what they they're going to do what they do or if they do if they would have went seven and six this season it would have not been the end of the world for Washington right and but now they go twelve and zero and you start to wonder are they overachieving or this, is this what they are you know you don't get an offer to the Big Ten if you're if you're playing like Washington State or if you're playing like Oregon State or if you're a Cal or sorry Madman if you're Stanford right but like they got the they got the offer so they wanted them to come so they appreciate what they did and there is some viability to how they play um on the field I, i'm just gonna be honest with you defense does worry me um a lot of people say like you know they do use the conference excuse to say the conference was really explosive offensively but they did give up 31 points you know and they use a method of we're going to score more than you um and that's what's going to come down to the game and when we start talking about both teams and analysis i'll, I'll get more into that but what they do offensively is just amazing. Like they take their shots and they're not afraid to take their shots and they wait for that big play and they wait for you to mess up. And when you mess up, that mess up is a big play. Um, they wear you down with throwing the ball and not just like a traditional air raid where it's just five yards, six yards, and we're just going to keep going fast. They are taking shots. They're running you, their corners downfield and they're keeping your safeties on alert all the time. They're running crossing routes. They're running post corners. They're running a lot of good combinations in the back that are are dealing with that the DBs cannot mess up because one mistake turns into a big play and their opportunities come from big plays. And they've executed all year. They play well all year. They got the ball to bounce right all year. Um, and they just deserve to be here. Um, I won't take anything away from them. And I, I wish the best for this team and Michael Penix Jr. When we get into the game, I'll tell you why the outcome is going to be the way the outcome is. But I'm proud of them. It's great for the conference. Okay, there we are, Coach Hader. So, Jamal, <laughs> how do you feel about this Washington team? And I'm going to actually kind of, you know, ambush you a bit here. Will We've been talking so much about how talented this Washington offense is. Will the man that's been leading it, Michael Penix Jr., be a first-round quarterback come April? Yeah, no, Tad, I mean, everything starts with, with Penix Jr., and <clears throat> I'll say he is the most beautiful thrower of the football that I have seen in college football for the last 20-plus years. Okay. The the only guy that comes close to me uh, in terms of watching was when Vic was at Virginia Tech, um, <laughs> and that, you know, his arm was, was sublime, and Penix Jr.'s arm is absolutely sublime, and I've never seen anything kind of like it. And, you know, it, it, as evidenced by the fact he's the only player in the history of college football to have back to back 4,500 yard passing seasons between last year and this year. Obviously, he's put together an incredibly decorated season. And then when you package him with these three NFL receivers, not one, not two, but three in terms of we talked a lot about Romo Dunze, but then you talk about McMillan and you talk about Polk. I mean, what is a secondary supposed to do with these three guys? And then you factor in, hey, if you put everything in front of you and you sort of force them to sort of check it down and not take as many shots down the field as actually a team like USC did. Oh, by the way, Dylan Johnson is going to go for 30 plus carries, 256 yards and four touchdowns on you. Dylan Johnson reminds me a lot of a previous uh, UW running back in the 90s, Corey Dillon, in a lot of ways in terms of his feet and his ability to finish. So. They're just so loaded, and, and hopefully Dylan Johnson gives it a go. Looks like he will, but his effectiveness is going to be the big question there uh, back there. But this offense is absolutely loaded. And, Tad, the one thing I'll say, you know, you can call it inspiring. You can call it threatening. 
You can call it concerning. You can call it any number of things. But Kalen DeBoer, from a Los Angeles perspective, has out Lincoln Riley, Lincoln Riley. I mean, both of those guys have are year two in their respective programs. Both of them have the kind of the generational quarterback that they wanted. Both of them are pressing, you know, the gas, uh, you know, all the way to the floor in terms of offense. And both of them have sort of preached opportunistic defense and the ability to rush the passer and just do enough to generate enough stops to be able to give your offense. And we look, you know, at, at Lincoln Riley kind of in full on rebuild mode in year three and Kalen DeBoer one win away from the national championship. And oh, by the way, one guy's getting paid 10 million a year and the other guy's getting paid 4.2 million a year. So uh, just not enough can be said about how great a job Kalen DeBoer has done. And then I think, again, uh, Will said it really best. This is an opportunistic defense. Um, you know, they this is an interesting team because they play their best when the lights are brightest. You know, Penix Jr.'s best performances this year were the two games against Oregon and then, of course, the national semifinal. Sometimes when the lights aren't as bright, they they sleepwalk a little bit. They kind of sleptwalk through Stanford and sleptwalk through Arizona and kind of had up and down moments against USC. But when the lights are shining, this Penix Jr. sort of rises to the occasion and this defense, their pass rush is a little crisper, a little meaner, and they're even more opportunistic from a turnover standpoint. Uh, in the biggest games. And so that's why they're, they're here uh, in a remarkable way. Tad, to me, you know, the question of whether or not Michael Penix Jr. is a first round pick, I don't think should be a, a conversation. I think people will point to the injury history. Obviously, he blew out his ACL twice. This is year six. So it, it, the question here becomes durability. But when you look at on the field production, to me, I test just on the field production. Not only is he a first round pick, he was the best quarterback in the country this year. I mean, there's no reason why, just from an eye test standpoint, we sort of get enamored with potential, what could be hypothetical scenarios, how guys measure in non-football situations, how guys measure in terms of individual drills that don't always translate uh, to on-the-field production. But in terms of on-the-field production and in terms of single greatest strength, being that arm and that release, there is no other quarterback with a singular strength as strong as Michael Penix Jr.'s arm in this draft. And you could easily make the argument, not only is he a first-round pick, he's QB1 in the NFL Draft 2024. Wow. Okay. Hey, Jamal, 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 can I ask you this question? Are you yep. with me in the boat that they got the Heisman Trophy winner wrong? Because I told yes. somebody earlier. I'm, I'm with you on that it one. It should yes. have been Michael Penix yes. Jr. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, wait, wait. everybody raise your hands if Penix should have gotten the Heisman. We're not in your class, Tad. We're not in your class. <laughs> okay. Well, you yes, know what? That's, that's how I'm used to things. So, all right. we got we, for, for once in the history of the show, everybody agrees on something. So, before we move on, though, real quick, yes or no? Or, mm, yeah, let's go with this. Yes or no? Is Michael Penix a first-round quarterback? Ryan? Yes. Will? Unequivocally, yes. I don't know if he goes above Caleb. Yes or no? Al, yes or no? Yeah. All right. This is the other option I was considering. We'll do a roundtable real quick. Under over, three and a half quarterbacks go in the first round. Jamal? Over. Ryan? Over. Will? Over. Yeah, it's over. I'm going to go under. 
I'll be who the hot take the, guy. Who falls I, in the second? It, well, I, I, fell, I fell for this trap last year where I was like, Will Levis is definitely going top 15, and then he fell all the way to the second round. So sometimes those guys take a tumble. So. Oh, Will, Will Levis would be like QB7 in this draft. Yeah. <laughs> if if that. So, well, before we go further with our analysis on this game, let's talk about, and, you know, Dad, I apologize. My father is a diehard Michigan fan. He is very excited. He was going to go to the game until he saw those ticket prices. So if anything bad is said about Michigan is not coming from me, dad, I promise. But let's talk about this <laughs> Michigan team. Uh, let's start with Al. Al, what you got on this Michigan team? Yeah, so this Michigan team is 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 very interesting. This whole game is very interesting. But this Michigan team is, is just like Washington, but it's just flip sides, right? Their defense is very, very good. I don't care what anybody says. Anytime you could play man coverage like that and you keep teams to, to points like they've been keeping them all year, this team is very good. If you want to see how to execute an Iowa-type team where low-scoring points and just defense around the ball, Michigan has executed it to a T. This defense is a very, very good defense, which which it's, it's considering they're playing a very good offense, right? The problem is you flip it to the other side of the ball, they're very milk toast. They're not great. They're nothing to write home about. They're just okay, right? If Blake Corum doesn't have a great day, the offense doesn't have a great day. If you want to beat Michigan, you got to have J.J. McCarthy beat you, right? And that's the only way you could do it. So their offense is just so average. But it, it's just, I mean, they have an old school coach, and he's just right. Defense, <laughs> defense wins championships. And I think that's just what they're riding on. So, their their key to success is just how great their defense is. I think their top five defense and and so defense. I'm not too for sure, but just watching them and when I watch them play Alabama, that front seven gets after you. And their blitz combinations are amazing. They're blitzing off the games. They're bringing double edge pressures. They're running delayed blitzes. They're running fiesta which are safety blitzes. They're running covers which are corner blitzes. Like their blitz package is like by far one of the best blitz passages I've ever seen in a very long time, which is interesting considering their defense coordinator got fired in the middle of the season. Right. And they still, like, right. And they're picked, they, they didn't skip a beat. So Stein selling. Uh, I mean, if you really want to talk about it, the Stein selling thing really doesn't matter. They get the film and they still signs during the game. Just a little tip for everybody who didn't know that those signs get stolen during the game. Every single game, guarantee you, because I've done it myself. But neither here nor there. Whoa, 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 whoa! Hold on. What? That is a big time reveal. That's not a reveal. They steal signs during the game. It's not hard to steal okay. signals. Right. That's a well, normal thing. They have. Say, thief. I mean, it's called gamemanship. Either, but yeah, it, they're, they're def- like I said, their defense is great. Their offense is just very average, milk toast. So, like, it, it's the complete opposite of what we just talked about with you do. Do I need to start holding up like this behind me like they do during games? Is that sure, why I need to start doing that? Okay. <laughs> All right, Ryan, what do you think about this Michigan team? Well, for Al, did you say milk toast? Yeah. That's what I was wondering too. I've never heard that saying. Really? No, no so I've I've heard it because my dad played high school football in Minnesota, played nine man ball. And he was an offensive lineman later in his career. And there was a D lineman that had the squirts all game. And so they nicknamed him milk toast, but I'd never heard anyone describe an offense as milk toast. So now that shows you it's real bad. If you're describing someone with the squirts <laughs> as the same as Michigan's <laughs> offense. And I would agree with you. I mean, I, I, 
I don't need to add about the defense. Their defense is fantastic, and that's what makes this matchup so fun is you get the the clash of a great offense versus a great defense. And I don't want to sound too harsh because I'm going to be honest. Like, I haven't – and I never like being harsh, but I haven't, like, studied a ton. I haven't watched a ton of Michigan football this year. Um, but I haven't, especially in that, that championship game, like, I haven't seen – the JJ McCarthy hype. And I'm not saying he's bad. I'm not saying the talent's not there. I'm not saying the potential isn't there. And obviously as your coach, you're going to go to bat to your guy. But when, when, you know, Harbaugh comes out and says the greatest college quarterback ever. And like, I, the guy can't complete a pass other than when he throws one up to his receiver that goes and gets it with a diving safety. Like I don't see it. So the offense definitely is a lot to be desired. They'll be okay, I think, because the Washington defense is kind of a lot to be desired and kind of, as everyone's talked about, capitalizes on that opportunistic and, and you know, takes some chances. So it'll be a, a fun, and obviously Alabama has a great defense, so they're going to stifle Michigan, uh, which they did. But, yeah, I mean, it's a super fun matchup because, you know, it's good versus good, bad versus bad, in a, or good versus bad, bad versus good, and uh, on both sides of the ball. So, but I, I, I'm what I'm looking for, in this game is what does JJ McCarthy produce? Like, is he the quarterback that all the national media talks about that all the draft pundits say is one of the potential top guys, or is he what I've seen where I'm like, I don't really see the hype. So, I mean, you guys probably know better than me, but I just haven't seen enough from him where I'm like, this is a guy that can go win you the football game on his shoulders and do it like a Michael Penix can, because without Michael Penix, Washington is not one of that game versus Texas. I'm not sitting here saying Michigan loses that game if it's a different quarterback besides JJ McCarthy. All right, well, is JJ McCarthy is... a first round pick, a first round prospect? All right, well, you have two questions now. One, is JJ McCarthy a first round prospect? Two, is he the difference maker in this national championship game? Um, so I have seen some mocks earlier in the season where he's number He's a first over our first round. Yeah, pick. I don't care about Mox. Mox had, you know, Kale Williams. I don't think around. he is. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think he is. I think he actually, his play at the college level reminds me of somebody I watched a lot in his career was Alex Smith. He's like a game oh, manager. Yep. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes despite that near first uh, play of the game interception he had against Bama. Uh, 22 <laughs> touchdowns, four picks. He's just kind of a grinder. He doesn't mess up. He's got some wheels with his legs where he can maybe extend some plays. But I think he's like a second or third round pick. If I was McCarthy, I'd probably come back for another year, if I was being honest, just to develop a little bit more. Um, Michigan, uh, Ro, you talked about it earlier. They have the number one total defense in college football this year. They are the most complete defense. I want to ask you guys this too. When was the last time you saw an Alabama front offensive line get bullied that badly in a game? Five seconds. Half. I was just about to say Texas. Yes, Texas. Five sacks in the first half, man, from that Michigan front. And this is with their most mobile quarterback they've ever had back there under Saban. Like, this was special stuff they were doing. I'm with you on the offense lacking explosive playmakers, but that defense has got to be where it starts. You get the number one passing offense in Washington going against the number one total defense. Their best player on the defense is not even draft eligible. It's Will Johnson, the defensive back. For Michigan is a true sophomore. This guy's putting together the best underclassman uh, career I've seen since Stingley a couple years ago at LSU. He has been absolutely locked down. Look up this guy's numbers on PFF and when he's been targeted. He is an absolute blanket in the coverage game. For what Michigan lacks in explosive players, 
How well coached this team is, is unbelievable. They are so well coached and disciplined. And it's, it's a weird thing to say when they made so many mistakes in that game on the special teams, you know, they, they fumbled two punts. They, you know, muffed an extra point. They made mistakes, but they still had enough within them to come back and win that game, which is mental fortitude and coaching at its finest right there. So Michigan, what they do have is they have one of the best, if not the best defense in the country. They are certainly ranked that way at number one. And what they have on offense, you know, Corum is an NFL running back. I mean, he's probably going to be a day three tailback. He's just kind of a really good college running back. Great story of him, you know, commuting four hours both ways to play high school football in Maryland. What they do legitimately have is they also have the best offensive line within the country. Two of the last three years, they've won the Joe Moore Award, which is the best offensive line group. Um, the Senior Bowl, big thing we're going to be talking about, Tad. There yeah, was coming up, trust me, it's coming up. I'm well aware in the preseason, man, where they were saying Michigan may have the chance of getting seven, seven offensive linemen drafted or on NFL rosters with these guys. That would be a, that would be a record coming out from one school at one time. So yes, lack of explosiveness. Washington definitely holds the advantage there, but discipline coaching. And I mean, DeBoer is really good coach, so I don't want to give the advantage. But Harbaugh's right there, man. I mean, just what he's been able to build at Michigan. It's going to be a really fun matchup to watch. It is. It is. All right, Jamal, finish us off. Michigan, good or bad? No, I mean, it, there's so many great points here. And it. I think what makes this such a delicious matchup is number one versus number one, right? You're talking about the number one pass offense, the number one quarterback against the number one total defense. And I think Will brought up a really interesting point. I think one of the under kind of sold matchups in this game, everybody wants to see how Penix Jr. is going to react to Michigan's blitz package. And, and the game's going to be this cat and mouse game of can you get Penix Jr. off schedule? Can you get him a little bit rattled? Because as good as they are on the back end, I don't know any unit that can control that trio of receivers and sort of hold them down in a collegiate environment for 60 minutes. So it's going to be a game of can you get to him? before he can start peppering it to his receivers. But I think the other piece of this equation that isn't being talked about enough, Will talked about Joe Moore Award, Michigan won it two of the last three years. Who won it this year? The University of Washington. The University of Washington has the best offensive line in America. So you're talking about the, the most unique blitz package, the number one defense going up against the number one line. And so I think that matchup, favors Washington because even if that line, that offensive line gets outplayed by a stout Michigan defense, I don't know if they're going to get outplayed to the level where they're not going to give Penix Jr. enough time to be able to sort of exploit big plays down the field. So I give Washington the advantage in that best on best scenario, not necessarily because of Penix Jr., not necessarily because of those receivers, but because of the offensive line that isn't being talked about nearly enough. I think on the offensive side of the ball for Michigan, everybody said it best. Uh, I think more to be desired here. Obviously, Blake Corum is is the bell cow. They've got a little something on the outside with Wilson and and Morris, you know, a few playmakers here and there. But this is going to be a game that's going to come down to J.J. McCarthy. And I think where he can tip the scales in the direction of Michigan is not necessarily with his arm, but with his feet. You know, can J.J. McCarthy, the athlete, emerge because I think that's what gets more people excited about him being more than just 
kind of your traditional Big Ten game manager? Is he someone that's because of his dynamism with running the ball? And we saw flashes of that against Alabama, that last drive, that 16-yard run down the sideline that could have been even a 15-yard penalty on top of that. And so those, Kirk Herbstreit talked about in the Rose Bowl, those third and sixes, those third and eights, can J.J. McCarthy extend those plays? Can he get those first downs when the game goes off script, goes off schedule? That could very well be the difference. But the one thing I'll say is, for as great as Michigan's defense has been this year, and they've been the number one team in the country defensively, they just have not seen a team as explosive as Washington I, I, this year. I, you're stuck on my toes. And, I have a great and stat for that. that is, to me, kind of the big key. Look, when you look at Michigan's three big wins this year at Penn State, they didn't have to throw the ball once in the second half to be able to win that game and salt that game away. I think we can all recognize that Penn State probably was a little overrated. They kind of beat up on the lower echelon of the Big Ten and kind of piled up victories. But when you look at their two other victories, right, I mean, marquee wins against blue blood programs, Ohio State and Bama, this isn't a traditional Ohio State team this year, and this isn't a traditional Bama team this year. For Ohio State, it wasn't a C.J. Stroud-led team. It wasn't a Justin Fields-led team. It wasn't one of those Ohio State teams under Urban that were just so dynamic and explosive on the perimeter. You know, they struggled with Kyle McCord. They were, they were struggling to get the ball to Marvin Harrison Jr. I mean, the fact that the Bolitnikoff was such a tight race, to me, is more of an indictment on Kyle McCord and Ohio State's ability to throw the ball than anything else. And so Michigan, as decorated as they were defensively, they got the benefit of the doubt of playing a much more conventional Ohio State team this year. And then when you play Bama, look, everyone said this was Saban's best coaching job, win or lose, since he was at Alabama. This was probably his worst quarterback since he was there. No knock on Miller. Great kid, great athlete, a lot of upside. But this was not Bryce Young. This was not Tua. This was not even Jalen Hurts. This was a very different version of Bama. So Michigan, you know, when we talk about Washington getting all the breaks, to me, Michigan kind of got also all the breaks this year in terms of not just their schedule, but in terms of the marquee teams that they played, not necessarily kind of having traditionally explosive years. So they were able to match up really well with every team that they played on their schedule to this point, with the exception of Monday night. And this is that final litmus test of this being, could this be one of the great defenses in the history of college football? Because they have yet to play a perimeterally explosive team like the University of Washington. I ultimately think it's going to be a little too overwhelming for Michigan, but I think that's the matchup we're all waiting for. All right. Great analysis, everyone. First off, I have to acknowledge this for our YouTube viewers. Yes, we are missing a murder, but a very special occasional guest host on the Decide Guys has shown up in the background. Mia Dirud, thank you so much for showing up. <laughs> she is doing such a good job back there, bugging the hell out of Ryan. So thank you so much. Sitting on a nightstand. It's like I thought my cat was annoying, but anyways – yeah, it's her bedtime, you know. Yeah, there so we she's, go. She's she's doing this to me, waiting. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's get through this next two parts quickly. One prospect per person. What draft prospect? What person is playing on Monday, but will be playing on Sundays next year that you are most looking forward to to playing? Ryan, clearly you have uh, some business to handle, so I'll kick it to you first. Well, can I, I mean, can I take the easy one or I mean, is that a uh, Yeah, go for it. I mean, there are like three easy ones here. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll go for a different one besides the obvious Penix. I'll go, I, and we mentioned him, Blake Corum. Um, you oh, know, damn it, you my, took mine. 
I mean, because running backs are so hard to to really project because of just their value in the NFL these days. And even the great running backs go, you know, in later rounds and whatnot. But, uh, you know, I think Corum is one of the most of this offense, probably the most dynamic player of this offense and brings a lot of value to obviously Michigan offense. But how he projects the next level, I think, will be really interesting to see. So um, he's a guy I want to see against this defense, this front. And if he can, you know, really run rampant on them, which I think he'll have to do for Michigan to really have a shot, which I know we'll get to predictions in a bit. But I think uh, Blake Corum is the guy that I'm seeing because also we got last year, everyone was comparing Zach Charbonnet, not comparing, but it was always Zach Charbonnet or Blake Corum. And obviously we're a big contingent of Zach Charbonnet fans here. So now we got to see Blake Corum actually kind of have his have his roses potentially. All right. So future Colt uh, Blake Corum right there. I like it. Uh, Will, who you got? Man, it's a good question. Uh, from this draft class, I'm going to pick one from uh, Washington and Michigan. I'll just make it really quick. Odunze's got a chance to solidify yeah, that, top, that top two pick, uh, a wide receiver. Because I think Marvin Harrison is the most flawless wide receiver prospect I've ever seen as a fan of football coming into a draft. Whether he's that in the NFL, I don't know. But he, he would have to take a massive campaign against this guy for him not to go be the first wide receiver off the board. Odunze's got a legitimate shot, especially going up against a Will Johnson. Let's say he burns Will Johnson for a big touchdown or gets multiple catches on Will Johnson. That's probably the best corner in the country. So if he torches him for a big game, you could be looking at this guy as maybe a top five, six pick in the draft and maybe even going ahead of Penix, which I think Penix has done enough for me to prove it. If Odunze does that, he will likely maybe go ahead of a neighbors in a situation like that. And for Michigan, we talked about it earlier, McCarthy, if he really wants to leave this year, he needs to leave the scouts with one final impression where they're like, hey, you know, he balled out in the national championship game. Yeah, he kind of struggled against Alabama. That was Alabama. Like that is a Nick Saban defense. We get it to some extent. If he can play well in the championship game and kind of bring it forward, maybe he can come out this year. But those are the two guys that I'm looking at. All right, Al, who you got? Who are you looking out for in this game? Graham in the middle for Michigan. That is the anchor of the defense. Mm. That's a big body, hard to block. Anytime you get a solid one tech like that, your whole defense takes care of itself, and that kid is good. I think he was a Rose Bowl defensive MVP also, if I'm not mistaken. He was, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure who was, but that play he made at the end of the game. Yeah. I'm on anytime, anytime it. Anytime you get a big one technique like that, fast, explosive, Good size kid. I mean, he may be too small to be a one tech in the NFL. They might have to move him down to three, but he can only play in a four down because I can't see him playing like a four eye defensive end. He's he's three stretching him a little bit, but Graham Graham is that that's the anchor of Michigan's defense, and that's the guy I want to keep my eye on. Confirmed, by the way, he did win defensive MVP for the Rose Bowl. Jamal, who you got to look out for when it comes to the NFL in the national championship game? Yeah, I'll, I'll just add a, a piece on Graham. You know, that's a particularly painful for me uh, and Will because, you know, Southern California kid wanted to go to UCLA, actually, and, uh, you know, didn't get the opportunity. And, and, and Michigan, you know, was, was sort of his fallback. So to, to see him make one of the biggest plays of the game, be defensive MVP at the Rose Bowl, uh, you know, I'm my 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 rear end is still shaping over that one from uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, but, you know, I'm going to I'm going to take something a little bit against the grain here, Tad. I'm going to go away from kind of the usual suspects in the household names. 
the guy I've got my eye on who I think could be an absolute steal in the NFL draft is Jabbar Muhammad of the University of Washington at corner. I think that he has had an absolutely spectacular year. 5'11", you know, he's he's a bump and run corner, likes to get into you, physical, uh, three interceptions, 13 pass defenses, 39 solo tackles. I just love what he brings to the table. I think he's kind of an ideal corner at the next level, wildly underrated right now. And I have a feeling he's going to make a play or two uh, on J.J. McCarthy in this game. And I think not only is he going to be kind of a sleeper in the NFL draft, I like Jabbar Muhammad to be defensive MVP of this game. Oh, I like that prediction. All right, I'm, I'll throw out my pick just real quick. I don't know why I do this to myself. I'm very glad Murr's not here because he always makes fun of me when I do this. But I'm picking a guy who I'm not entirely sure if I'm pronouncing this right. Troy Feotanu. Am I doing that right? Nobody knows. Okay, the tackle out of Washington. I love his technical skills. He needs to strengthen up, but Amir and I say this every time when we're covering the draft, is strengthening up is not a problem when you get to the NFL. As long as you're committed, you're going to strengthen up just because of the way that strength and conditioning program in the NFL works. His technique is phenomenal. I really love this guy, so I think that he is a prospect definitely to look out for. So if you would like more draft outlook going forward all five of us are going to be diving heavy into that in the next couple months uh i think jamal and definitely will you know shout out earlier is we are doing a you know nfl senior bowl live stream we may be doing a shrine bowl live stream still discussing that but bottom line is we are doing so much draft coverage in the upcoming spring season so be sure to check in with lafb network for all that coverage Final piece tonight, guys. We are almost at an hour, so let's just get it over with. What are the keys of the game, and what are your final score predictions? Let's hit Al first. So the keys of the game is who could control the, the big play, right? So Washington, they their opportunity their opportunities come from the big play on offense. Michigan runs a lot of man defense, so that can be a sore spot in that can be a sore spot in Michigan's defense, and that might be able to be Achilles' heel. Washington takes shots. They're going to take opportunities on the big play. They'll try to run down your throat and then create the pass again. It's kind of like a West Coast Bill Walsh offense type of thing if you really look at it. Michigan, okay. no, Michigan, they uh, they just got they got lucky. And like Jamal said, the diamonds always feel Michigan got lucky because they're facing a subpar defense, right? So they're not facing a defense – they're not facing their own defense, I guess you could say. If they're facing their own defense, Michigan lose like the national. It'll be like the national championship last year. Everybody will be disappointed. The key to the game, though, is the defense for Michigan and what that front does in that blitz package. They ran so many stunts against Alabama, and Alabama couldn't pick them up. They ran, they ran, they ran cut both ways. They ran double edge pressure, like I said before. They ran cross blitzes. They ran Fiesta with the strong safety. I don't think that. Washington will be able to pick that up. I don't think anybody could pick that up, how well they run it. It's not a knock against Washington. It's just uh, credit towards Michigan's defense. I think they'll be the key factor in this game because their corners are used to playing man. I think Michigan wins this game, but it'll be close. I'm looking like 21-17, nothing outrageous, but I, I think Michigan walks away on a defensive battle. All right, Michigan, 21-17. Jamal, what do you got? Yeah, I think for me, it's and I think we've said it, it's I think the keys to the game are going to be Washington's ability to protect Penix Jr. 
for enough time to be able to get him, uh, you know, enough time to be able to get the ball out to his playmakers. If he can do that, Washington is just extremely explosive on the back end. I think for Michigan, uh, the key is obviously to kind of get pressure on Penix Jr. And then when you flip it the other way, I think Washington defensively, as long as they don't cheat and make big mistakes defensively, make Michigan be methodical down the field. I think ultimately it's going to be a struggle for Michigan to put 12, 13, 14 plays together without some miscue or some mistake from an offensive precision standpoint. So I like Washington in the advantage. The one area where I think the game could potentially swing is in the red zone. The one area where Washington kind of struggles offensively, if you go back over the course of this season, is in the red zone when the field shrinks and those, that, that trio of receivers no longer has the requisite space to sort of exploit matchups. That's where Dylan Johnson comes in. With his health, that could be a question. Again, Washington, three field goals in the red zone against Texas, so it sort of reared its head. That could be where the game changes. But ultimately, I think Washington has too much firepower, and I don't think Michigan's going to be able to stay with them offensively. 31-23, Washington is your national champion. 31-23, so we got one Washington, one Michigan. Will, break the tie. Man, so a part of me wants to say whoever gets the ball first is going to win, and whoever scores first with that. Michigan is going to run the ball down your throat. That's kind of their identity, whereas Washington is going to take the top off the defense with five straight plays. I think whoever gets that first touchdown, the momentum is going to swing that way. I, I think it's destiny for Michigan to win this year. I really do. You know, this feels like it's the last run for Harbaugh. They brought back a lot of players that could have gone to the NFL draft last year, trying to go all in on winning this championship. They had a drill called Beat Georgia, where they would just run it at the end of their practices, expecting to play Georgia in the national championship. Lo and behold, it did not happen. But that goal and what they built in terms of trying to win a national championship, this has been long in the making. And what a swan song for Harbaugh to kind of go out for Michigan, if you will. I love everything about Washington. These are the two teams I wanted to play in the national championship. DeBoer's got a bright future ahead of him with whatever's happening there. He's going to be leading Washington for a long, long time, it seems like. But I think for the final time, maybe Jim Harbaugh coaches a college football team as I think he's going to go to the NFL. I think Michigan finds a way. They just found a way to get it done. I mean, even the Bama game, you see that last drive they had to put together against a Bama. Nick Saban-led defense, man. This is the real deal. This is a guy that's the GOAT in every respect. They got it done. They found a way to get it done. I think they're going to do it again. 27 to 24. Michigan squeaks it out with maybe a last second field goal on a drive. 27, 24. We got two, one Michigan. Ryan, are you going to tie it up? Or are you going to give Michigan the, you know, the favorite here? Well, I mean, I, I'll, I'll just say this. You're going to be the tiebreaker because <laughs> Whoa, I like okay. Washington in this one. Uh, keys of the game. Uh, I, I won't emphasize it because coach already said it, but uh, explosive plays, I think is what it comes down to turnover battle. Obviously that, I mean, that's cliche. So for me, the biggest key to this game is JJ McCarthy. And do we, we see a JJ McCarthy that the national media likes to promote and says, this is a really high level prospect or we you see the JJ McCarthy that kind of, we've all talked about that, you know, leaves some to be desired. And we've talked about some, and Jamal mentioned it, some luck that, that Michigan has had. And we didn't even mention they have a head coach that's been suspended twice this year and they're still in the national championship. And to be, to be I, fair, not to interrupt you, but one of those was for a 10 30 AM cheeseburger. And I feel like the humor on that goes way underrated. I'm not even, <laughs> yeah, 
I'm not even saying the, the suspensions were warranted or whatnot. That's a whole conversation. But just the fact that he was suspended twice and his team is still in the natty. But I think that that luck does run out because they are truly facing the best offense they've faced all year, truly facing the best team they've faced off year. We, we talked a lot on our shows that Michigan, even throughout the year, kind of had a, a somewhat of a cupcake schedule and obviously ended heavy with Ohio State and Alabama. Washington, I thought, was battle-tested throughout the year and, and always rose to the challenge. So it's going to be a hell of a game. Michigan obviously has a great defense. I don't to keep emphasizing that, as everyone said. I just think the, the battle-testing of what Washington's had, the luck that kind of Michigan's had throughout the year runs out. And then when you look at just the quarterbacks, Michael Penix versus J.J. McCarthy, clearly one is a lot better than the other, in my opinion, for what I've seen so far. So I think Washington actually – Kind of like we saw in the Texas game where they kind of started to run away with it. And then it, there was some weird stuff going on. They got, got Texas back into it. I don't think that happens. I think they're going to run away with it and finish it off. And I think they win 31 to 17. Not putting me in a comfortable position here, man. Okay, fine. I will do it. And let me do it with this statistic that I've been sitting on all episode. And it's a lot of what you guys have been talking about with Washington, Washington's explosive offense. And this is a game I like playing a lot with a Murr, but now I can't really pick on a Murr. So I'm going to pick on, you know, my next best friend. Al, how about you, buddy? Let's play over-under. You ready? Go. All right. <laughs> over-under, two and a half. How many opponents has Michigan faced that have ranked above 50th in passing yardage per game? Two and a half. Uh, two and a half. Under. You are correct, sir. It is exactly two. Michigan has only faced two opponents that have ranked above 55th in passing yardage per game. So those two teams, by the way, were Maryland. UNLV. No. Oh. Maryland and you are. Uh, you, see, now you're tricking me. I want to say UNLV. Maryland and Ohio State. Those are the only two teams they face in the regular season. I should point that out that ranked above 55th. So they are not used to facing very capable offenses. Meanwhile, Michael Penix, let's pick on someone else. Uh, Jamal over under 30 pass completions. Michael Penix jr. Had over 15 yards over under 30, 30 and a half. You are correct over. again. God, you guys are so much better at this than a murder. This is not fun. <laughs> When I play with you guys, but you are <laughs> correct. He had 33 completions over 15 yards. This is an explosive Washington offense with the Michigan defense. I don't think is as experienced as people believe they are. Yes, they are good. I'm not taking anything away from them, but I think they're going to kind of see this Washington offense and be like, Oh no, these people are good. So you know what? My final prediction is Washington 34, Michigan 24. Like Ryan said, I think I see something a little weird happening there towards the end. And, you know, I, I think that score will be closer than it should be, but that's how, the way it works. So, guys, before we get off, if our viewers, if our listeners disagree with us, if they want to debate this with us, you have a couple days to do so. So, you know, I'll start off with Will. Let's just go left to right. Will, where can the people find you? Man, LAFootballNetwork.com. That's where they can find me, man. Get us on LAFBnetwork.com. Okay, best site ever. Yes, uh, correct, man. You got the, the Bruin Bible right here. We got the guy to my right doing salute to Troy. Uh, we got all your college football needs, all your draft needs, all your NFL needs. Find me on the best football website in Los Angeles, LAFB Network. 
All right, Al, social media, websites, podcasts, where can we find you? You can find me on LAFBnetwork.com. You can also find me at Coach underscore Row 2 on Twitter. A-Road Deuces on Instagram. Uh, I'm all, you can also follow us on USC LAFB on Twitter. Did I get that one right, Ryan? USC underscore LAFB. There you go. Nice. Yeah. USC it. underscore LAFB. And like I said, the Salute Detroit podcast. And Ryan Dirud, CEO and fearless leader. Where can we find you? Podcast, everything else. I, I it's, This list is going to be long. No, uh, no, Tad, thanks for uh, you and Elmer, who couldn't be here, unfortunately, but thanks for setting this up. Always fun when we can all hang out to get together. And, you know, obviously we cover LA football, but it's it's fun sometimes to talk, you know, some of the other teams and some of the other uh, stories around, you know, college football and other sports. So thanks for setting this up. Uh, but no, LAFB Network, you can find me, Ryan Dyer at LAFB on, on Twitter, but that's it. Awesome. Jamal? You know where to find me is where you can find all the others. The best damn football website there is, LAFBnetwork.com and LAFB Jams and, you know, host of other places. But um, we'll start there. So, you know, excited to engage as always with our fans. And as always, guys, you can find my co-host, Emergeside23, on Twitter. Uh, if you disagree with any of my takes, that's where you send the hate mail. You can find me, TadDeside94, also on Twitter. And you can find the show both on twitter and instagram at the the decide guys thank you so much for joining everyone i hope you enjoy a wonderful 2024 year and i hope you have a great national championship game it should be a great matchup bye hey, everyone. Tad, did you know this is year four this is year four for lafb there we go how about that so we're ringing in the new year not just for everyone but year four for the lafb